We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. What I'd like to do is return to our study material that we were going over a few weeks ago. We've had a little break because of the Lord's table and a visit from a missionary. Um, but we were going over uh, shepherding our children's hearts. And I have some notes that I will walk us through uh, today. And you're just going to be kind of getting the results of my note-taking and study here. This isn't uh, all fresh, brand-new material with me. Uh, it's something that I'm working through and uh, perhaps should have done 10 years ago with you all. But that's not how God timed things for us. So uh, here we are. Um, one of the things that was very helpful uh, for me in looking at the material was to think about, well, and let me back up for a second. None of us are sufficient for this business. Uh, the problem with adults that have kids is that uh, we're just big versions of what we used to be, uh, more sophisticated, uh, more nuanced, more, uh, I don't know what you want to say, just more. Uh, hopefully more sanctified too, uh, you know, but uh, we have our, our problems and challenges. And so we're really, in this material, this is, kind of, this is kind of a shrewd technique here. We're talking about raising our kids, but actually what's happening is we're raising ourselves too. We're changing, we're trying to see if God can change us, and he can, but working in ourselves to... Uh, be more uh, sanctified, more like Christ in raising our families. But one of the things that was helpful to me in this study <clears throat> was, and this is helpful in all of pastoral ministry, is the, the idea of how people change. And we kind of can tend, as, the, as we looked at last couple times, we can kind of tend to think, well, if I can just morph the behavior from the bad behavior to the good behavior, then I'm in, I'm in okay shape. You know, after all, the good behavior isn't as irritating and annoying as the bad behavior, and uh, it just makes things more peaceful in the home, and then I don't have to deal with it. And um, that doesn't say nothing about how does that help the situation in the child's heart, and it just expresses our own desire to not have issues in the home, you know, which is a selfish desire which is no way to, to run a Christian's uh, home or life. And so the, the diagram, I don't know if I showed this diagram, or, uh, but I pictured it for you. If you're starting fr from your perspective with a poor behavior, instead of just drawing an arrow over to good behavior, like just straighten up and do the right thing, you want to, you want to track back that behavior to where it comes from in the heart of the child and ask yourself, where is that coming from? And help the child to, to see where it's coming from. You know, instead of not sharing to sharing, 
not sharing to why are you thinking that way? What, what's, what is it in your heart that's causing you to not share? Turn away from that sin. Repent of that and change your heart and then come down to the new behavior. If you short-circuit that process, then you short-circuit the opportunity you have to expose the sinful heart. And another thing you miss is the opportunity to expose to your child the difficulty of making that, that arc work, going to the heart, repenting, and coming back to correct behavior. That's a difficult thing. You know, uh, in fact, in the big picture, it's impossible because sin is so built in to our heart. If you can, if your child can understand that this is an impossibility that I can just change my behavior by and changing my heart, I can't do that. Mom, it's very difficult for me. You can sympathize with that, can't you? It's very difficult for us when we face sin and temptation and trials, isn't it? It's even more so for them because they have far less experience in life, far less of the Word of God, uh, far less time walking with the Lord. And when you have the opportunity to show a child their inability, and if they can see that, God can open their eyes to it. Guess what it does for them and their connection to the gospel of Christ? It can help them to, to see, I need Jesus. I need to be transformed from the inside out, not so that I just have bad behavior turn into good behavior with no heart change. You know what that's called? Pharisaism, perhaps. You know, the outside looks good, but the inside is what? Full of dead men's bones. It's all full of filth and uncleanness even though the outside of it's like, oh, at least I got rid of that crying child. I mean, I got him to be quiet or sent him to his room or, you know, got them to share at least on the outside. But, you know, it's kind of like the child who, you know, you told them to tell them to sit down and they, they say, but I'm not sitting down on the inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can help expose. Yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah. No, that, and that's not that. Well, I'm not advocating that at all. I'm just saying we need to not short circuit that process and hurry to just say obey or else. We need to go through that process far more often than we may be if we're just raw, you know, kind of raw requiring obedience. Yeah, we required obedience in our home. I mean, there's no question about that. And if you weren't going to do it, then you're going to go sit on your bed or something, you know. I mean, there's a consequence. But in that, what are they, you know, send them to their room so they have something to think about. What are they thinking about? Probably not the gospel. Yeah, if all we're saying is, you know, just stop doing that, start doing this. So we want to 
invest the time to help them understand why obedience is necessary. And, of course, that's going to be a long process. It's a huge investment of time. Far more important than what? Getting to the next thing. Far more important than uh, college. Far more important than getting a good job. You know, These things are way more important than that, but we don't necessarily see them that way. And, and that's what the... That's what this curriculum is kind of calling up. So we're reviewing the idea of behavior change skips the why, the heart, the real needed change in, in the gospel. Of course, we require obedience to Christie's point. Um, now, let me see here. One of the things that we didn't go over the last time was the uh, idea of in the heart, there's a, there's a, there are attitudes. Remember, we talked about the heart. Uh, this was about three or four or five weeks ago, and we talked about the cognition, the affections, and the will. Remember that and how sin affects all of that? And if you have in your heart certain ungodly attitudes, you're going to have ungodly behavior. And so the next thing that I had in my notes was to think about this question of when you face a certain ungodly attitudes, what can you, what do you replace them with? What do you, what do you show from Scripture that is a, a better uh, approach, shall we say? Let me give this uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of examples. So if the child or the person has vengeance in their heart, okay, now that comes in different forms, but for little, you know, for little guys and gals, there, there is that, isn't there? I'm going to get back at my brother or my sister for doing that to me. Okay, so if they have vengeance in their heart, what is the proper biblical attitude to move them toward, to point them toward? And where do you find that in Scripture? Anybody? Point them toward forgiveness. Yes, that's correct. Directly to the point of vengeance. Okay, yeah, you're, you're reciting it. It's in Romans 12, 19. Um, let's see here. Romans 12, 19. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Okay. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's 12, actually 12, uh, 17 and 12, uh, 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I'm looking for your assistance as, as you're kind of uh, you know, seeing here to fill in this little table of, of uh alternative options. Uh, vengeance should be replaced with the idea that God is going to take care of that. I'm not going to take care of that. My, my socking my brother back in the face is not going to help the situation. <laughs> Seems like you, some of you had experience with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So vengeance. And uh, let me see if I have on the list here. Yeah, I don't really have, I don't like have the opposite of forgiveness. I could add, uh, what, what, what's a more direct opposite of forgiveness? Um, what's that? Well, forgiveness and love, yeah, like holding a grudge. I wonder what a one-word version of that is. But anyway, um, forgiveness. So that's a very important one. And I've noticed in our lives as adults and in some of our lives specifically in this church even and in um, marriage relationships, that forgiveness is a real challenge. Okay? Even for Christians who know the Word of God, uh, I mean, I've heard people say, I can't forgive them. Well, let me just call you up short on that, friend. If you cannot, then you are not saved. Because if you are saved, you have the capacity to forgive, even very vile offenses, much less rather small ones. So you can. I I remember realizing this some years ago and somebody was saying something like, it wasn't a forgiveness issue, it was something about an addiction or a speech thing. I cannot do that. That holy, you know, uh, option or outcome. I can't do that. Well, there was a reason they couldn't do that because they weren't saved. But if they have the Spirit of God in their heart, then they can. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. (laughs) It's not easy. But with help, with willingness to change, with accountability, with the Word of God, yes, it is possible. It is possible. We're going to look at the Lord's temptations this morning in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to, you know, apply it pretty closely to our own hearts. And we face temptations all the time, don't we? Sometimes we falter and fail and other times we succeed. But the Lord demonstrates for us that it's possible to overcome those things. In any case... Vengeance and forgiveness. Forgiveness is very important for us. Uh, You must and are able, you must be able to and you are able to forgive when somebody wrongs you. Uh, If if God can forgive us, he can teach us how to forgive one another. What if somebody has, um, what if some young person, we'll just say, we'll, we'll, we'll blame the young people now as we kind of shrewdly talk to ourselves by thinking about working with our kids uh, which is important, uh, both are. What if, what if the, our youngster is experiencing the fear of people? You know, well, that never happens, right? <laughs> fear of people, wanting to please people, focus on their opinions, how, how our teenager wants to dress and who they want to hang out with and who they want to be with and the peer pressure thing in school and all of that. What about the fear of man? How do you respond to that? scripturally. What's that? Indeed, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
Uh, here's one in Proverbs 29. If you're jotting notes down, we've done vengeance, Romans 12, 19. Secondly, fear of man, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So the fear of man, this is what you want to teach your kids. Notice that that attitude that you have arises from the fear of man instead of fearing God. And then make the connection with Proverbs 29 that the fear of man brings a snare. If you are tied in with this, you've got to please people, please these friends or whatever. You fear their response or whatever. You have to know that's going to be a snare to you. What's a snare? Go into that, you know, picture a snare, a bird snare, a bear trap, a whatever, and, and teach that wisdom to your children that it's a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Better to be safe than snared, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. How about pride? Pride. We all have a problem with pride, and uh, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Pride is uh, often found there. How do we respond to pride? First Peter chapter 5, how about that? There's a lot of these uh, we could go to the Proverbs and find. Uh, so it's good to read the Proverbs with your kids. Think about them. First uh, Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God resists the proud. So if you're having trouble with pride in the family, then it's a good principle to teach that God resists proud people. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Perhaps you know people un in, in your circle of influence, unbelieving people who have a lot of pride. It's all about them. You know, they know a lot. They can do a lot. They're smart. That sort of thing. Um, Yes. Yeah, uh, where is that one at? Is that in Romans uh, 12, in the early part of the chapter? Thank you, Ann. It says, um, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each a measure of faith. So that's Romans 12, 3. Similar idea in portions uh, that you might find in, uh, in Philippians. Thinking of uh, Timothy, Paul says, I don't have any man of like mind with him. Uh, some of these apostolic helpers, examples who uh, gave of themselves. Paul says of Timothy, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. That's really more self kind of self-focused idea. Um, so that's pride. 
So again, you, what, what, we, what do you want to do? You want to see, okay, what is my child's behavior? What is the attitude that's driving that? Is it vengeance? Is it fear of man? Is it pride? Is it love of self? Well, one of the direct attacks on love of self is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't see it, love yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly not in the first part of it. Uh, let's see, what does it say in Matthew 22 and uh, verse 40? Uh, 39, actually, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if there's any place for yourself, it's last in the verse. Yeah, but of course, there's an assumption that we all have a certain care for ourselves, so we should love our neighbor as that. How about husbands loving their wives as their own bodies, right? Nourishing and cherishing. So love of self. You might also... Uh, diagnose some um, attitude of self-preservation. Self-preservation. Um, now, I don't see... There's not, there's not a behavior list here. This is an attitude list. So what might a lie do? A child tells a lie. Well, it might be to preserve themselves from some other consequence, Right? So they're trying to preserve themselves from something. So Philippians um, 2, 4, let each of you look, not out, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Or Philippians 2, 30, uh, think of uh, Epaphroditus. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. You know, here's a Here's Epaphroditus, the Philippian church, entrusts him with a, a pocket full of money, probably, and sends it to the Apostle Paul through him. So they're sharing their care for the Apostle through Epaphroditus, but he's pr- he travels. What happens when you travel? Oh, I've, happened, I've had that happen more times than I'd like to say, traveling to South America uh, or even other places, and uh, you get sick. In this case, so much so that he almost perished in supplying that, that need. But he, was, he, was, he did that on purpose, you know. So why do you keep traveling if you keep getting sick when you travel? <laughs> because you feel compelled that you must go to serve the Lord and to serve his people. Uh, so self-preservation. Uh, you might say, well, you know, half the time I go, I get sick, so I'm not doing it ever again. I'm not. That, that's a feeling that I've had before. It would be easier to just stay home, but of course you can get sick when you're home too. <laughs> right? That's happened plenty of times. Uh, what about fear? I've got to keep moving here. Fear. If you detect an attitude of fear in your child's heart that's driving some behavior, what's a verse that you can use or a concept from a scripture that would help your youngster. Yep, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Um, that is what address? <laughs> Psalm 4x something, okay. What's that? 
Yeah, and <laughs> um, here's one. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of a conundrum to you, but there is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear because fear involved tor- involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you that, like I say, it's a little bit of a conundrum. But if you think about it, if you fear, if you love God with all of your heart, you're trusting Him then that tends to melt fear away. Now, you've got to keep going back to that love. <laughs> you, know, and, uh, you know, that involves thinking as well. Like, like, what kinds of stuff are you thinking about that's making you be so fearful? So again, as you look at the behavior, you're not just trying to change the behavior like, oh, stop being fearful. <laughs> okay, why? Go back up to the heart here and then the relationship with God and repent from the sin and come back down. What is the, what, what's going on, you know, in the mind of your child or in your mind for that matter? If you're going over and over and over all the worst possible case scenarios, is that thinking on things above? Is that thinking on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy, Philippians 4, 8? No, it's not. We have to help ourselves and help our children to regulate our minds so that we're not thinking about sinful things, thinking about dreadful things, thinking about depressing things all the time and say, no, when you recognize that you're thinking those things, see, a youngster doesn't necessarily know how to do that, right? But if you sit next to them and say, hey, so what are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking that you know, um, I'm going to I'm going to lose you, uh, or, or I'm, I'm going to get lost in the store, or some you know little a kid version of of the kind of thing. Well, you can help them with that. You say, no, don't think about those negative possibilities. See what's happening to your mind as as you let it think about those things, and you fall into fear. Think about other things. Um, fear. Oh, covetousness. Covetousness. What if you detect an attitude of covetousness? You know, I want. <laughs> that's always, that's relevant for us too, isn't it? Keep up with the Joneses and climbing ladders and corporations and stuff like that. Proverbs 22, 9, one of the opposites of covetousness is generosity. Generosity. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor. So instead of, instead of getting, how about giving? See that? It's a di- totally different way of looking at things, God's way of looking at things, not man's. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Contentment, yeah. Um, and uh, the other one is uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, which says, um, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. And in fact, 
uh, just coming to mind when we were speaking from Luke's gospel. Uh, we just have to go back and find where Luke was uh, preaching. I'm sorry, where John was preaching, and he talks about bearing fruit. And uh, the soldiers asked what to do, and he said, "Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely." And what? Be content with your wages. That's uh, Luke three fourteen. So. Contentment is a, another good response to uh, covetousness. Um, envy, kind of, you know, related to that. Uh, I was, I jotted down one for that, and that would be, whoops, I passed it here, Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse um, for neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So instead of being envious of others, be thankful for others. Be thankful for, for what God has granted to them and be thankful for what God has granted to you. Uh, hatred, you have hatred in your heart. Well, we can go right back to love again. Love, loving your God loving your neighbor. Um, how about uh, desire to be approved by others? That's kind of almost repeating a little bit, fear of man. I kind of threw it under that heading before, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, ten eighteen. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. 2 Corinthians ten eighteen, And then John uh, in the gospel, in John chapter 5, is a well-known portion on this subject matter. In John 5, 44, Jesus says, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? You seek honor or receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes. So the idea is your desire to be approved. It's good to, to want to be approved by God. But to be all focused on being approved by your, your peers is not where, it, it, where it's at. And then finally, in the list of attitudes, as we think about transformation, not just behavior to behavior, but attitude underlying to, to new attitude underlying behavior, anxiety and fear. And uh, that's, I already alluded to that portion of Scripture. That's in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you can talk about anxiety and fear and then speak about being anxious for nothing but turn to prayer and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts. So instead of anxiety and fear, prayer and peace. Your thought life, Philippians 4.8, remember I was saying whatever things are true and noble and just and honest, pure, lovely, of good report, all of that, focus on those things. A lot of this battle that you're teaching, you're, you want to teach your children is the battle is not necessarily just focused on the outer behavior. It's in the mind. It's in the heart, you know, but the heart is the cognition and the affections and the will. So we might say in more modern terms, not the heart, but the mind. It's in your mind, and you have to know yourself. You have to know how the depravity works. You have to know how your heart 
uh, just tries to deceive you. You have to know how, what you're, be self-reflective on what you are yourself thinking about and then regulate that. Ask God to help you and recognize that you cannot do that yourself unless you're uh, indwelt by God's Spirit to help you do that. So, um, well, we basically got through uh, the first little bit of my notes here. Um, What you do, uh, too, is you're trying to teach your kids that there is a God, lowercase g, inside of them that's in competition with the God, uppercase G, which is outside of them. Yes? I'm the boss, or he's the boss. And the battle is, you got to decide that I'm not going to be the boss, and God's going to be the boss, because God demands that of us. So, I'm going to have to stop there and start up next time uh, one-third of the way down that first page. <laughs> so it's been, uh, it's been good. I hope that's, it's helpful for you to meditate with me or me to meditate with you on this. It certainly has been very helpful to me to think about things this way. So let's pray. Lord, uh, help us as we continue on this pathway. Help me to be a better teacher of this material, uh, to be a better practitioner of it, and to help our church family. We have many, many deep needs in this department, as it were, in our own hearts and that of the hearts of the youngsters that we're raising, whether they're teens or preteens or just little, little ones. And I ask that you would help us to be deeply thinking about these things and, and observing of ourselves as we work with our children and observing of them as we see their behavior and their attitudes. Lord, I pray for our kids. We can talk about this and, and uh, think of them as, as methodologies and all of that, but in reality we know that we cannot control the outcome of what our children's hearts do or how they think. And we beseech Thee, O God, that You would work, that You would open the hearts of each of the children represented in the families, the parents here, our grandchildren represented here by grandparents. Please, O God, we pray, thinking of that teen class upstairs filled up with a dozen of kids or so uh, in just the one class that Brother John is teaching and the great importance of that class, of that group and that age and that time in their lives when they're thinking through, are they going to embrace the faith of their parents or are they going to go their own way? Lord, help them to see that by the, the, the power of their own strength, they are not able to walk aright, but they need Christ. Call out to him in dependent faith and humility. Oh, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our youngsters and help us to do the best job we can of passing on the truth to them as you've instructed us. In Jesus' name, amen.